Hello, everyone. This is Vaughn Vernon, your host of the Adot Podcast. Today, I'm very pleased to have Greg Young with me. You probably uh, know Greg Young from uh, his work on event sourcing um, and CQRS. Thanks for having uh, an interview with me, Greg. So I think um, just to start off with, I would say that a lot of people say, oh, yeah, I know what event sourcing and CQRS is. But I'm going to guess that um, by true definition, a lot of people don't. I think people confuse and say we're using CQRS and what they really mean is they're uh, using event sourcing and maybe a write model and a read model or something like that. But anyway, can you help us out with what in the world are these two things sort of officially? Okay, so let's start with CQRS because it's probably the easier one of the two to jump right into. Um, CQRS is, is basically just saying that we have two types of methods in our system. We have methods which have a void return type, or maybe an error return type, and they mutate state. These are what we call commands. We then have methods that return something, and they do not mutate state. And when I say they do not mutate state, it's totally cool if they log something. or It's not at a physical level, it's at a conceptual level. They, they are not mutating things. Those are queries. CQRS basically just says, we're going to take our one service that had commands and queries inside of it, and we're going to make it into two services. One with all the commands, one with all the queries. And the reason we want to do this is because very often there's differences between them. As an example, I might want to bring up five instances of the service which is handling queries and only one which is doing commands. So they scale independently. I guess you can also optimize either side for, you know. They, they don't necessarily scale independently, but they can. And then, okay, so that's, that's pretty simple explanation of CQRS. What about event sourcing? That's a little bit more complex, but... Maybe not so bad, so go for it. Event sourcing is basically saying that we are going to store our data in a log as a series of facts. And in order to get back our current state, we replay our facts to get back whatever our interpretation of current state is. Okay, good. And then the log um, of facts, we refer to those as events and the, the sourcing part, what does sourcing mean by, you know, the, the word itself, sourcing? Um, so I did not actually name event sourcing. Martin Fowler did, uh, looking at the ideas that we were using. I believe his definition was because we're taking all of our current state and, and deriving it off of the facts, it's being sourced from the facts. Okay. Very simple. Now, um, I think... Uh, Many are aware that you're working on a book, and I think this is a long-anticipated work. Can you tell us about your book? Uh, well, that actually gets a little bit more difficult because there's not one. Yeah, well, that's true. I didn't want to speak for you, so go, so go ahead. Uh, there, there's actually two books. Um, so the first book is right at completion. Like, it's going through final edits, you know, maybe we can add a bit here, like add another chapter, but it, it's 300 pages ballpark of material already written at this point. 
that book is intended to be the book you hand to somebody new on the team if you're running with CQRS and event sourcing. It is, you don't know this stuff, let's get you to a point where you are somewhat competent. Okay, good. And you have, um, what, probably like lots of code in it, right? Like pages and pages of code. Not pages and pages, but there, there is a significant number of code examples throughout it. Um, what, what's really funny is uh, having dealt with the editor, and they're like, what, but what language is this? And it's like, it's not. And they're like, what do you mean? And it's like, this is pseudocode. It looks kind of like Java at times, kind of like C-sharp at times, <laughs> but it's not actually either of them. Right, right. So, yeah, you purposely are staying out of the um, sort of, you know, language zealotry or whatever it happens to be and just saying, okay, you can make, anybody can make sense of this. Well, and there's, there's quite a few discussions as you go through the text where it's like, and by the way, if you happen to be in C-sharp, you can do this. Java doesn't support this, but if you're in C-sharp, then you can do this. Or the other way around, and you can do this in Java, but you can't do it in C-sharp. Perfect example of this would be uh, the ability to use the dynamic keyword in C-sharp. So then um, can you tell us about some of the chapters in the book or like what, what's maybe like your favorite chapter? I would have to go with the versioning chapter just because it's been a subject that I've dealt with for years and years and years. Uh, I, I believe you know I already have written a book specifically about versioning. Yes. The entire book is only about versioning. Yes. And I think you have a number of readers of that. I mean, number as in good number of readers. Well, I, I mostly wrote that just because I was constantly bombarded with questions about versioning over time. Yeah. So we have a chapter on versioning. It's kind of close to your, you know, a lot of work that you've done. What are some other topics? Oh, uh, main ones, CQRS, event sourcing. Uh, the book even gets into things like process managers and sagas. So it's kind of at the beginning of the book, it's everything's happening in one bounded context. Mm -hmm. And then towards the end of the book, it's, well, let's take off our blinders and let's talk about a real system where we're going to have many bounded contexts. Yeah. And how do we actually have them interact with each other? Do you use um, uh, Event Store, the, the product, in your book, or do you stay free of technology, or how does that work? Okay, so I even have a chapter about what an event store is. Okay. And for the first, I think it's something like 1,000, 2,000 words of that chapter, I talk about an event store as an abstract concept. And then I finally talk about event store itself, and this is a product, but as an abstract concept, this is what it is until finally we reach the point of this thing does actually exist. Yeah, good. And, um, well, maybe that let's, let's talk about um, Event Store for a while. I don't know. I think you, that product has been available for what, a decade now or more. Yep. Uh, we've, been, we've been just over a decade, I believe. I think it's 11 years, but I'd have to go pull up the exact dates. Mm -hmm. So, I remember you kind of used to say, well, you know, you don't have to, you know, you, you can create your own event store using a database, but uh, at some point your experience must have said, uh, no, people really need, you know, like an event store that works like I think an event store should work. How did that go? Well, 
there were a couple customers who actually needed something more than what you're going to get just putting it into a SQL database. Um, one of those customers actually became a partner and also runs Event Store with me. If you are building a specific database on the problem, there's a lot of things that you can do to improve over what you would get just out of, let's say, with a SQL database. One big example of this, did you know that you can run Event Store on Write Once Media? Um, well, it makes sense. I didn't, I didn't think of that use case, but it makes sense, yeah. Well, how many databases have you ever heard of that can run on Write Once Media? <laughs> Zero. Probably, yeah. <laughs> so right once media, the, the reason for that is because everything is an insert or a, an append. And, Correct. And of course, even I think you can use the event store product even for projections, right? So you can project um, uh, views or whatever out of that. And, um, and that would also be right once. Well, not actually. I guess you could actually... The projections inside of Event Store are a bit different than that. Okay. So they are more what you might consider behavioral projections. So, for instance, um, I want to look for this pattern of events happening. Uh, I'm looking for an order was created. Uh, these things were added to it. And then within 24 hours, I have not seen that uh, the item has actually been picked from the warehouse. Therefore, I now want to put an event saying, uh, we really need to go pick this thing. <laughs> yeah, good. Yeah, so that, that makes sense. Um, but from a, even that kind of perspective, you probably, well, I don't know, maybe you're updating the, uh, the projection multiple times. So I don't know if that would work on right once. But you tell me. Uh, no, because the, the, the projection is forward run. So it's basically your state change on the projection itself is, in fact, another event. And then basically you're just reading that state of the last event, which gives a really cool side effect, by the way. You can actually look at everything that happened to a projection. Like you look at its life cycle. Yeah, interesting. Yes, very good. So um, um, I think probably for me, one of the most interesting features of Event Store, and I think um, possibly a bit newer than, than uh, what you originally started with was um, tombstones, right? So you have the ability to sort of shut down a stream that belongs to some, you know, whatever you want to call it, an entity or, or something like that. And then you can, I guess, well, there may be a reason for shutting it down on its own, but maybe that's also for uh, branching into other streams or narrowing yep. multiple streams into one and things like that. This is a very common pattern. Um, I talk about it in the versioning book, actually. Uh, so let's say that I've got one stream and we realized that uh, we had our boundaries wrong. We did the car and the engine together, and we realized that the engine and the, the vehicle itself, they, they are actually two distinct aggregates. Because we actually take engines out of our cars or trucks and we put them into other ones. Yeah, good point. Which is actually quite common if we were, let's say, a trucking company. So what we can do there is we can actually have the single aggregate, which was the vehicle, and we can then tombstone it and break it apart into two aggregates. 
Right. And so we would have what um, the, I guess, the vehicle and the engine. Is that is that the idea? Yep. Okay. So it's basically I've taken this one thing and I've broken it apart into two concepts. Now, when it comes to sort of um, regulatory or legal or whatever, um, when you branch that one stream into two, you need to be able to look back and say, well, I branched from that. So what does a tombstone have that, or, or is it the new stream that has the look back? It's the, it's the new stream that would contain the look back to the old stream. Although you can do this one either way because uh, you're, you're writing these events on your own. So it's, you could put a pointer at the end of the old stream to the two new streams, or you could put the pointer on the two new streams back to the old stream. What happens in many cases is you actually do both. Because uh, some people are going to want to read it one way, some people are going to want to read it the other way. Suspenders and a belt, right? So, yeah. Well, at the, end of the, at the end of the day, what you're essentially ending up with is a linked list of streams. Yeah, very cool. Which actually happens over time. Like We could end up with like 19 of these. Yeah. And of course, you know, um, I think the idea is, well, you're tombstoning a stream because, um, well, and that means you'll never be able to read it again. But, well, obviously you can read it again for uh, the purposes of determining, you know, his true, you know, far back history, let's say. Well, it's, it's not that you wouldn't read from it. It's that you wouldn't write to it. Yeah. Uh, it's perfectly valid to just sit there forever. It's tombstoned. It, it's just read-only data at this point. You know, I, I think also another big change with Event Store is that it's now known as a database. Not that it was never before known as a database, but it was called Event Store. But now I think it's called Event Store Database, right? So the... Uh, Event Store DB. Okay, yes. But meaning... Uh, event store database. So um, why do you think that change in name had, you know, was important? I was not heavily involved with that name change. Um, This is marketing. Well, I think it's not bad in the sense that um, it, you know, I think, I think there's probably a lot of people who were like, okay, but we need a database or, you know, it's, yeah. it just doesn't, it, unless you kind of connect the dots for them, it, it's not really a database. And Well, an event store is a bit weird like that because if you squint at event store, right, it's actually a queue. If you squint at event store, right, it's a database. If you squint at event store, right, it's a key value store. If you squint at it, right, yeah. it's yeah. a... Yeah, yeah. So what was actually like the really... I guess, most challenging problem that you solved with um, Event Store when you were first creating it or, or you know, ongoing, maybe? Oh, that's an easy one. Okay. Um, the clustering. Ah, yeah, of course. Uh, so the clustering is based on Paxos, which if you just type Paxos into Google, you'll find that Paxos is a horrifically complex algorithm. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, who came up with that algorithm? Oh, I, I'm trying to think who it actually dates back to. I guess you could say that it wasn't the Paxos made simple paper. You, you have to understand that there's like uh, 200 different variants of Paxos as well. Okay. There, there's a running joke that uh, if you are doing distributed consensus, eventually you end up with Paxos. 
<laughs> yeah. Or, <clears throat> yeah, or maybe even a half-implemented Paxos or something. I, I think the whole joke is uh, you're, you're either Paxos, Paxos with fluff, or broken. You know, I think one thing that is really interesting to me is how did you come up with scalable sequences? Like, are you, are you writing um, shards as in, as in um, <clears throat> you know, partitions of events that belong to the same stream? Or do you write uh, a single stream into one node? So we, we are a replicated log, uh, much more similar to Raft, actually. So if we are running a three-node cluster, it's three nodes have the same log associated with all of them. The consensus is about how to distribute that log. Okay. And what does that mean, how to distribute it? Uh, so there needs to be a leader uh, that we are going to coordinate the rights with. And then we have followers. Now, if we lose a leader, one of the followers can become a new leader, blah, blah, blah. But the entire model is based upon the fact that they all have the same log associated with them. And when you say the same log, if we were thinking of that as a virtually infinite file, do you mean one virtually infinite file or do you, and, and, but you must support replication. So what if you lose? Well, well, that's what we're replicating. Yes. Is that one file? Yes. So, so then don't get me wrong. It's not actually one file. Yeah. No, I know. But, but, yeah. <laughs> Conceptually, it's one yeah, file. Yeah, exactly. So, yes, a, a virtual, virtually. Um, a, a good way to think about it is that each of them has a tape, and we are appending things to that tape. And then we are taking things off of that tape to make them available for querying. Yeah. So basically what we're doing is we're synchronizing three tapes between them, mm -hmm. or five tapes between them, or seven tapes between them. Uh, you generally want an odd number here. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Because, uh, and even though I, I have written my own cluster, I guess it wasn't Paxos, but maybe, <laughs> you know, I guess someone who's an expert in Paxos would have to um, determine how close it is to Paxos, but it, it's actually a different algorithm that um, where you determine the first and any subsequent leaders by the simply the, um, um, lexicographical comparison of their IDs, right? So the highest okay. lexicographical comparison becomes the winner unless they're really, really late in raising their hand and saying, I'm here, <laughs> you know? We, we also have uh, the idea of some, of like having a node that is there and is part of the cluster, but can never become a leader. It's a follower. Yeah, just permanently. And it has well, to. yes, and, and this is actually, perhaps surprisingly, useful. Uh, let's imagine that we had U.S.-based offices in New York, New Jersey, and Chicago. So we're running a cluster between those three. But then we also have uh, offices in Hong Kong and Beijing. We can actually put nodes out in Hong Kong and Beijing, which are part of the cluster, but can never become like a leader of the cluster. They're, they're just like followers inside of the cluster that then gives you a node locally with all the data in it. And there's some eventual consistency to that, no doubt. Oh, there's eventual consistency to everything. Yeah. 
But the the only way you can do a consistent read uh, in a Paxos based system is to do a majority read. Okay. Yeah. So whoever agrees that they have the same state together. Um, so if we require a majority of nodes to agree that something's been written, then if I do a read from a majority of nodes, at least one of them will have it. Like there must be an overlap of at least one. Yes. Cool. So, um, well, I, hopefully event store is, has, uh, picked up a lot of, uh, new customers over, you know, the past, I guess, 11 years or so. And, um, I think it's, it's becoming well-established. Um, how, what, what markets tend to use this? Is it mostly financial markets? Um, um, we, we have a lot of financial. There's another one, which it should not be very surprising. Gambling. But there's a lot of other markets that we deal with. Um, one of my favorites was Jet.com. I don't know what that one. Oh, Jet.com was an Amazon competitor that came up in the U.S. Oh. Okay. And they, they grew to a massive scale. And eventually they, they got bought out. But they were almost completely event sourced. Interesting. Yeah. And, and one of your uh, big users I know is Adam Dimitrik. He's, um, he, he doesn't do anything but event sourcing and CQRS. Um, and I think he's, uh, a lot of his customers are, or all of his customers probably are running event store. Well, what's funny with Adam is he is actually one of the first people to learn about event sourcing. He's actually, I interviewed him. If you look back, I don't know, maybe it's already been a year or more, but I interviewed him and, and he told me the story actually of, um, the consensus algorithm and how you two met, maybe, I don't know what it was, a meetup or something and, or a different meetup or something like that. And then you ended up, um, uh, having beers together and, you know, kind of, um, he, he, he attributes a lot to you. So he's, he's very fond of his, you know, experience with you from way back. Yeah. Did, did he tell you about the time that, um, that they had a problem in their office and they, they brought me in? I think from across the street. Yeah. I think, yeah. He didn't realize that you were like right across the street. Yeah. And what happened there? Oh, this, this was, this was hacking. Not like literally like one of their employees was like hacking their system. Oh yeah. That's not good. <laughs> <laughs> and you had to figure out who it was. Well, and what's been damaged. And oh, yeah. <laughs> so it was, uh, it was a lot of fun. So, okay. Well, let's transition to kind of a, well, I think a very related topic, and it's it's got a lot of buzz recently, um, and that's data mesh. Now, when I read about data mesh right out of the gate, I'm just thinking event sourcing and CQRS all the way, right? And and uh, I think mo- much of the literature even talks about storing events for um, you know later consumption, where um, some somewhere else in the enterprise or wherever can consume these. So what, like, what is data mesh to you? We were chatting just the other day online a little bit. You said what, what's old is new again or something like that. Yeah. That it's essentially the, the old new thing, which by the way, the old new thing is also a wonderful, wonderful post. If people have not read it before. 
Okay, that's your post? No, no, oh, no, no, no. Uh, I'm trying to think who wrote that. Uh, it's a classic, classic. Greg's Googling on the fly here, so give him one second. Uh, Raymond Chen? Okay. That sounds correct. He's a, a Microsoft employee. Listeners can look that up. Maybe we can even provide that um, in the description of the podcast. So, Oh, it's wh- a classic. This yeah. is like most people have probably already seen it at some oh, point. Okay. So um, where do you think that data mesh takes, you know, sort of adds value on top of event sourcing and CQRS? Oh, there's a whole bunch of different ways that it can um, one perfect example might be the ability to just keep all of my aggregates in memory, much more similar to something like I would be doing in Erlang, and they just live there. And they, they are actively put into cold storage like when they finish their life cycles, which you have to admit would be pretty cool. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that is the sort of... To most people, it's probably the white tower, right? The, the, or the ivory tower. It's sort of the, you know, this is this is the ultimate um, maybe nirvana of, of uh, enterprise software development or any software development. Well, and it's all my active things are active in memory and they live in the mesh and I just talk to them. Now, for consumption by others, though, like if they needed to um, have access to, you know, an event stream from an entire bounded context, right? An entire service um, at least gives you access to the events it would like you to, or, you know, allow you to see. Um, And you can have very fine grain control over that. Right, right. You mean from the data mesh standpoint or from? Uh, Just in general, you can have very, very fine grain control over that. Uh, So one way of doing this, is to actually do a stream transformation. So I've got all of my events, and then I do a stream transformation, which is these are all the events that I want to share and how I want to share them. Right. And if that doesn't happen for a few seconds, in other words, if if it's eventually consistent, that's um, generally not a big deal, right? I mean, the downstream who are are reading that are, they're just subject to whatever uh, minor delay there might be milliseconds or something yeah, like that. And generally, we, we are in many systems, uh, if we start getting a lot of consumers, we're not going to have them pulling it from us. We're instead going to push it to them. Right. Multicast is your friend. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and, and when you say that, you mean UDP? Yeah. Yeah. How, um, how does that go? Uh, I would tell you a joke about UDP, but you might not get it. What's your experience with <laughs> with um, UDP in that in that case? Are there does it does it end up in reality? It works out pretty well, I think. Um, I, I mentioned I used to work in finance. Um, pretty much all of your financial data comes over UDP feeds. Yeah, and the reason why is because well, it's not going to three of you; it's going to three thousand of you. It works reasonably well. The, the, the hardest problems is not necessarily when you lose data. That, that's fairly easy to deal with. You just fall back to TCP and get the data that you're missing. The more fun problems are when you get into things like the reordering of data. Why, why do you reorder it 
is that reordering for the sake of consumers? No, there's or? no, there's no, there's no guarantee of ordering in UDP. Oh yes, exactly. So I can send you packet one, and then packet two, and then packet three, but you might get them three one two. Right, right, and this is where, um, you know, depending on on uh, your perspective on this, I say don't actually try to resequence them, just receive them as they come and only act on them when you get the, the full complement that you're looking for. That can work a lot of times, right? So that's generally what people do, but then there's a whole bunch of risks associated with this as well. Okay. Um, so how long is this sequence that we're, we're not quite right? Right. How long can we wait for that to, to catch up? Yeah. Right. It is, uh, for a lot of things, this might be, like if we're talking about algorithmic trading, it might be 50 milliseconds is way too long. Yeah, sure. Um, for a lot of line of business, though, it's, <clears throat> you know, 50 minutes. milliseconds or even minutes is acceptable. <laughs> yeah. So at some point, you probably want to have a timeout on anything and just say, you know, I think you were mentioning earlier. No, well, why, you why don't do generally do the timeout. Instead, what you generally do is you run multiple feeds. Okay, explain that, please. Uh, so the whole problem with UDP is that I might get my packets out of order. I might have lost packets. I can have all of these kinds of issues. So instead of building in this, this whole horrifically complex uh, retry mechanism, what if I were to send you the same feed down five network paths, and then you could do packet arbitrage across them? Yeah. So basically, the packet number 1732 is the same 1732 between all of these different feeds. And you only need to receive it over one of them. Okay. That's interesting. Um, well, and I think that a lot of people probably aren't dealing directly with UDP, right? That this, this may be um, sort of a baseline for certain kinds of business, but a lot of people are using whatever, some kind of messaging uh, mechanism, RabbitMQ just comes up a lot in conversation, but it could be SQS, SNS, um, Azure Message Bus, and so forth. Yeah. So the the really nice thing about doing packet arbitrage like that mm -hmm. is you can hit extraordinarily low latency goals, mm -hmm. and you can do it reliably. Okay. Have you had a lot of conversation with the Aaron guys? Um, Yep. Yeah, so is it, is that something like what they're doing? Because they're in uh, they, they do some very similar things. Yeah, yes. yeah. So they're, they're, I mean, I've lost track of, I think they started out with about a million messages per second. The last thing I heard, it was like 10 or 12 million per second. And I wouldn't be a bit surprised if they're beyond 15, you know, million per second or something like that. I, you know, I don't, I don't really know, but. Yeah, they're always pushing the envelope. And, and essentially what they've done is they've re-implemented TCP on UDP, but it's not the old, you know, the original TCP, but they've had to implement a lot of what TCP did, yeah. does, but just a lot better, right? A lot more efficiently. Well, and not implementing everything that TCP does. So, okay, now we've come back to maybe... Let's say the second book. What what is how is the second book different different from the first book? So okay, obviously you're not going to write another book of, about um, okay. Here's the um, 
for someone who's never worked in event sourcing and CQRS before, here, here's that book again. So obviously it's going to be probably much more advanced. Uh, and more advanced and more formal. Okay. Good. Um, less telling of stories and things, you know, this is a wonderful example from my history where you can see this and you can see it in the problem and much more of, uh, yeah, we're talking about a finite state machine here. And what you really want to do is you want to limit the number of state transitions you want to. Yeah. Very good. So, um, like, can you give us more, um, shine a light on that a little bit more? Like what, what, what kinds of deep topics will you talk about? Oh, well, the big one's going to be event sourcing and how to deal with it, but written in a more formal way as opposed to, well, it's your first day at work and let's explain what event sourcing is. And in fact, it, it's quite likely to even have sentences like current state is a left fold of previous behaviors. Yeah, that's, uh, that's actually one of my favorites, Greg. That um, that was uh, a, a good enlightenment. I think a lot of people have benefited from that. So um, pretty easy to to understand um, overlay essentially, right? Or um, consume based on a collection that's just one element at a time being applied to a bucket. I guess something like that. Yeah. So um, okay. So what? Kinds of, I mean, okay, two books, that's a huge challenge. I understand that quite well, and you already know because you have one book. And um, But beyond um, book authoring, what are the big challenges that you're involved in now, like, you know, say, in any kind of technology? Oh, there's quite a few. Um, I had a lot of fun working a bit with a warehousing system that was quite interesting. Well, it's been a while since I've been doing that. Um, then there is the looking at the internals of these systems and, and how they work and can they be improved, which is a lot of fun. Yeah. So warehousing, does this involve robots? And, you know, like... The, it, it can. Yeah. So the little machines that go around and pick things off the shelf instead of having humans. Do to that. be fair, it's usually humans. Yeah. You'd be amazed how many people are willing to go work for 15 bucks an hour picking things off the shelves. Yeah. Yeah. And they don't actually have the best of conditions, even, even though it is picking things off the shelf. It's seems like that's so not a great One thing they started doing at the warehouses up here was they would even send out buses to pick these people up. Uh, when you say up here, so you're in the uh, East Coast. Northeast. Yeah. Northeast. But they would even send, like, here's a bus to pick you up to bring you to work today. Mm -hmm. So that way, if you don't have a car or if something weird is going on, you can just jump on the bus. And the bus will take you directly from where you are to the warehouse. So um, what else? Anything else you'd like folks to know about and what's going on with Greg? No, that's mostly it. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Very good. So, well, it's been a real pleasure to have you on the podcast. Um, Look forward to, I will buy your book as soon as it's, even the newbie book. Um, I think everybody can learn even from your, you know, past experiences that you're sharing, you know, like 
you know, with people. So even if a lot of people say, well, that's, that's kind of below me, I'm, I'm certain a lot of people can still with, with a uh, good experience can still benefit from it. So. Well, what's, what's funny with the, and you used the term newbie book, which is actually a good term. Um, there's still a lot in there for people who have done things prior because there's a lot of different aspects to things and it might be things that you've not dealt with this particular thing before. Right. Yes, exactly. So first day on this job that uses event sourcing and CQRS where they might have already, you know, some decent number of years programming on something. Well, um, thank you so much and look forward to your, to reading this book and your future one and um, try to, I don't know, stay warm there in the, in the Northeast. How's, how's the weather going there? I guess I should ask. Actually, today is reasonably nice. It's yeah. sunny and blue skies. Yeah. I, I'm on, I'm sort of on the opposite, like Southwest side of, of the U S and we've had a crazy winter. I was talking with someone yesterday on the phone and uh, she said she was, from the, you know, setting up an appointment. And she, the, the woman was like, oh yeah, I grew up here pretty much my whole life. And, and this has got to be the worst winter that we've, that I've ever seen. <laughs> it's just like from the beginning of December, just rain and cold every day. And here we are first day of February, right? So. What I mostly dislike about Connecticut is, uh, I believe you're aware I used to live up in Montreal. Yes, I knew that. And I used to live down in New Orleans. That I didn't know. I went to university in Delaware. So I am totally fine with hot. I am totally fine with ice cold. What I don't like is when it goes from like 40 degrees to 20 degrees to 40 degrees to 20 degrees. Oh, well, you wouldn't like Colorado then because they say if you don't like the weather, wait 10 minutes. (laughs) (laughs) But it's like, oh, it's snowing outside. Cool. That's, That's lovely. And then it's like 20 minutes later, it's raining outside. Yeah. Crap. Yeah. Yeah. Not not so fun. Well, um, hopefully we'll we'll catch up with you again soon sometime and and uh best wishes on all your pursuits these days. You as well, sir. And hopefully everything will go reasonably well. Yes. Hopefully. <laughs> I think it will. If you enjoyed this interview, please subscribe and stay tuned for more. This podcast is sponsored and produced by Kalele, makers of Domo Roboto and the Zoom platform. To learn more, visit kalele.io. That's K-A-L-E-L-E dot I-O. Thanks for listening.